0: Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems around the world adopt technologies with me, Tiasza Zeit. Nurses are the backbone of healthcare. They're the closest to the patient, they offer support to them and the doctors. Their mission is to make patients feel better and recover as fast as possible. There is a global shortage of nurses, and more often than not, nurses are stretched thin in their working environment. The same as with doctors, mistakes can happen during nursing. In this episode, you're going to hear from Martina Viduka, a practicing nurse and the CEO of AdvoSense. I spoke with Martina to get the nursing perspective on medication management in the hospital setting, Because this was part of the discussions I recorded for the movie Overdose. How can we prevent medication errors? If you haven't seen the movie yet, find the link in the show notes. You can also hear the uh, version adapted for radio on this podcast. But now, let's go to Martina Viduka. Enjoy the discussion and to browse through other episodes as well, visit www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. Okay, we are recording. Martina, just right. for, for starters, can you describe your clinical work? So basically what you said before, you know, how much you work in the clinical practice uh, and uh, the role of uh, flight nursing, just as a brief introduction about, uh, you know, your clinical background.
1: Sure. So essentially, I've been a registered nurse for over 10 years. I studied and practiced in Canada, mainly in the emergency part, department, and I also received a specialization in geriatrics. Um, and throughout that 10 years, I also did a lot of rural nursing, where I was up in northern Canada working on uh, native, native reserves, um, working and serving that community in these kind of outpost settings. Then I moved over to Germany um, to pursue a master's in healthcare management, but wanted to continue my clinical practice, Um, unfortunately not speaking German, but luckily enough managed to obtain my clinical hours and keep at the bedside by doing stints back in Canada, maybe about four times a year, um, where I'm able to go again to smaller rural communities and do emergency nursing there and just really be at the bedside. And then also from Germany, I do flight nursing. So what that is, is I do commercial transport for patients that are in need um, and transferring from them all over the world from different hospitals to hospitals and getting them home. So over the pandemic, it's a bit been a bit more tricky, but patients still need care and yeah, and they still need to, to get home. So that's what I've been doing.
0: From your perspective, what's the scariest thing about medication administration and medication management for nurses? Yeah, it's
1: scary. So we're busy and very overwhelmed, as you can imagine, with many tasks and even just one overlooked step when you're administering medication can cause an error. And unfortunately, with human factors and human error and kind of all, you know, the different things we're doing, we're still quite accountable. And not only to administer the medication, we're accountable to monitor after. And we're also accountable to check the orders of the physicians and the pharmacists as well. So, really, we're this kind of last look before we administer the meds, but we're accountable for the whole process. And we really have to understand the background of the of the patients as well while we're giving the medications, the pharmacology of the medications, and all this while we're doing all the other nursing tasks. So You can imagine that, you know, there are times where things get overlooked. And in nursing school, we do have these 10 rights of medication administration where we're supposed to follow. And we're supposed to guide as we're administrating meds, you know, always remembering these 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 10 um, medication administration guidelines, the right drug, right patient, right dose, and so forth. But sometimes in practice reality, you just don't have time and you know, you miss some of these things. So it's quite scary in the sense of, you know, having to not only be accountable for this, but at the same time, um, there's this concept, it depends also on the concept of blame. So it depends on the culture, you know, of the organizations, And a lot of organizations are trying to, you know, minimize this culture of blame and make it more of an open learning environment. Um, And this is super important to be able to give, you know, to medication, administer medication quite, quite safely. Yeah.
0: Um, Have you ever had an experience where a wrong dose or a wrong medication was given to a patient? Or did you see that in your 10 years time? Yes.
1: Oh, Yes. Many near misses and many errors, for sure. Um, I've had a few memorable ones on my end. So in my clinical practice, I've witnessed and have my own a lot of near misses and medication errors. I mean, this does happen quite frequently. And there was a good couple that really stood out over the last 10 years, Essentially, one of my experiences that I don't forget is uh, essentially I was helping at a, another nurse as a float nurse. So basically we run around the department and we help the nurses with certain tasks, but we don't actually have our own patients. Um, and one of the nurses asked me, hey, can you go give a medication in a room 7B? And I was like, yeah, sure, 7B, no problem. Ran over, I checked the medication guidelines, the electronic medical records, and it said, OK, Lasix, 40 milligrams uh, intravenously. And Lasix is a drug that essentially helps with patients who are in heart failure or fluid retention, uh, but it also can lower blood pressure. So it needs to be administered safely and the patient needs to be monitored and not everyone should be getting this medication. So I looked for the patient's room number and I went and gave the patient the medication and then realized right away that was the wrong patient. And the patient is actually not on Lasix. So that was quite scary, caught it right away. Um, was able to basically told the physician, we went in, spoke to the family member and the patient, luckily that patient was totally okay. And they were quite understanding. Um, but there was a big learning with that in terms of, again, getting the patient's name, following the rights of administration. Um, but what I really liked about this, liked about this was the leadership I had at the time was really supportive. And again, in not blaming me, I felt terrible course um, but really use that as a time to educate us you know where we could where we could have improved and also the whole department as well and from there we developed new policies so it was a really good example of how an you know a near miss or an error could bring change um, and then I guess some of the near misses were errors that I witnessed that were not you know not so good um, one time I caught, um, an error in terms of a narcotic that was given by another colleague of mine when I was signing out another narcotic, and it was a huge dose. Unfortunately, when I um, spoke to the colleague about this, they denied it. So this is just kind of another example of the other side of the spectrum. What do you do when you know, people aren't owning up to these things and patient safety um, is at risk? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so you, know, you see these errors all the time, and some are near misses and patients okay, and, and some can be worse. Um, but it's really about the support, I think, and uh, the culture that's created around this in order to, you know, stop these. You know.
0: Mm-hmm. And you mentioned before that you checked, you know, that you had the right patient and followed the protocol. So can you maybe just explain a little bit further? You know, how come you end up you ended up giving the medication to the wrong patient?
1: Yeah, so I didn't follow a protocol properly. I checked the patient by the room number, and I didn't get the patient's last name. And this is the number one textbook. You should be checking the patient's name and their ID band and cross-checking. But in such a rush in the ER, running around, yeah, sure, I'll run. I'll go do this for you. Quickly checked. Off I go. And something like this happened. Mm-hmm. And again, it was in no mean, um, you know, a conscious decision, but it was a breach in practice. And and I learned from it. Yeah.
0: I think this topic is very important, clearly. and But one thing that I'm wondering is, you know, just to not uh, maybe scare people too much. How often do actually medication errors happen that don't have terrible consequences? So we don't just mm-hmm. talk about the worst case scenarios, which are, I don't know, just a few percentage of all the medication errors that happen. Mm-hmm.
1: I mean, I can't say specifically how many errors happen that don't cause consequences. I think what I'm seeing in practice is a lot of near misses where we're catching it, and we're catching it by using these processes, such as, you know, these medication rights. Roots um, administration, also technologies and software as well. We're seeing, you know, more alerts being provided um, and more cross dressing happening happening between different providers. So, real there are um, things in place to kind of stop this from running, you know, running through the cracks. Um, and in terms of really big errors, it's not like you're seeing this all the time. It's more these near misses where something could have happened.
0: Mm-hmm. How often yeah. does it happen that nurses warn doctors about the medication that's potentially uh, in a too high dose? Uh, does, does that happen? Do you recognize those those kind of cases? And how is that? So, for example, is the nurse uh, because she's on one ward and she knows uh, the medications because they repeat with patients? Because you know, if you've got cardiology patients, you just have a specific number of medications. So, just in terms of you know knowledge management. How are nurses uh, knowledgeable enough to be able to even see and recognize the the wrong dose even if it falls through the other safeguards? Mm -hmm. So nurses are
1: essentially checking the orders of medications every single time that they're administering a medication. And also there are times when it's checks as well daily. So you'll review the orders for the entire day and do cross-checks with the pharmacy and the orders. So this is something that's put into place daily. And then again, also, if, you know, you look at the electronic medical record um, and the, you see that there's a change in medication and this is something that wasn't kind of communicated with you when you're uncertain, you know, why is this patient on this med or what's the change of dose, then the nurse will pick up the phone and call the, can call the physician. And this is happening all the time. There's always this communication change, um, exchange for this process. And the other great thing is when you have pharmacy on site as well, and you're really able to kind of cross-check doses with the pharmacist um, and ask their opinion on certain things as well.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many patients does a nurse usually take care of in a day? Yeah,
1: it, it totally depends on the setting. Um, the nurse-to-patient ratios can change. For example, the um, emergency department I worked in mostly, it depends on also the area of the department you're in and the staffing so you could have um, really sick patients in the most high acute areas and you could have anywhere between four to six of them and one to two nurses and this is a well staffed department. In rural areas you'll have a department of 15 patients and one to two nurses so it really just depends on facility and what they can provide.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, What uh, kind of technologies did you see in your clinical practice so far to support medication management?
1: Yeah, so I guess we're using, to support medication management in clinical practice, we're using a bunch of different tools, um, technological ones and and not. So you'll see anywhere from having like the electronic medical record where the patient's medication administration record is actually online. And that's something that's cross-checked with pharmacy and you receive alerts there if there's anything that might be off or not checked. Um, And then there's ability to also look at uh, IV drug guideline administrations online. So usually like the hospital internet will have something like this, um, which is upkept with pharmacy. But then we also have, you know, the big textbooks where we're looking through binders to check guidelines. We have posters on the wall that are showing different um, interactions of the drugs. Nurses are using their own apps that they're using, uh, downloading themselves, their personal apps and checking them. Um, And then we also have uh, drug guidelines on the IV pumps that we're actually using. So pre-programmed things where we can put in the dose and then it's running through.
0: Mm -hmm. And uh, what's your experience uh, in terms of using these technologies? To which extent, you know, do they help? What are the problems that might occur with these kinds of approaches,
1: yeah, I think the, there's there's challenges with using technologies to um, for medication administration because there's so many and there's different areas of gathering this information, so it's not one local source where you can use, okay, this one platform, you are able to see not only the patient's medication, their medication in the community, what they might have been prescribed by their physicians in the community, now what they're getting in hospital, cross-checking that with IV guidelines, looking at drug administration protocols, it's not all in one place. So you're really left to choose what suits you best or what's available. And I think the problem with this kind of crossover is that there's no standardized process and, and having kind of the options to do the different, to choose what you're going to use and what's available. I think it can, it can cause a break, in, a break in the process and also in terms of, you know, overwhelming the, the clinicians and nurses themselves.
0: Mhm. Uh, what are the yeah. protocols for the use of these systems? So these are all support systems. Is there a protocol um when you should use which one or is it just based on the carefulness of the one that's giving the drug to double check again? that he's giving the right drug with the right dose to the right patient at the right time?
1: Yeah, for drug administration medication protocols, it essentially depends on the facilities again. So if there is an electronic medical record with a medication administrative record, those need to be used because that's where you're signing off the dose, that's where you're checking the dose, um, that's when you'll have communication with pharmacy, pharmacy's putting the medication in there from the doctor's orders, and those you have to use. But in terms of actually checking the guidelines, it's really up to what the what is available at the facility and what the nurse wants to use. Mm-hmm. So there's not
0: necessarily something
1: standard in terms of that, it's really preference
0: um how do you assess you know from the user experiences and the the way that technology is impacting the the work of nurses
1: yeah i think in so technology can be super helpful in in of course in helping the workload of nurses if it's done right if not it can lead to clinician burnout i mean there's some there's There's so much out there now with these electronic health records that are causing, like contributing to nurse burnout because they're not user friendly and they're not necessarily working towards, um, you know, providing the right information at the right time and overloading the clinicians themselves. And I think this is with, with the medication administration as well. I think this can also be improved because, you know, having a snapshot of the information that is needed at the right time is much better than a whole encyclopedia that you have to sift through
0: mm mm-hmm. um, ba- Based on your observation of the last 10 years uh, of uh, just working in clinical practice, do you see any changes in terms of medication safety? Has it improved? Has it not?
1: Yeah, I think over the last 10 years, um, improvements in medication safety have, have happened, definitely. I mean, you're seeing even when it comes to simple things as where you're locking narcotics. Rather than having like a key in a cupboard and a sign out sheet, which you do have at some facilities, you're seeing more devices for this specific to the patient that's programmed, for example. But again, I think it really depends on the facility, and especially when you're going into community hospitals or underfunded places, rural, you don't have access to these technologies um, as much as something like, you know, a university hospital.
0: Mm-hmm. Where do you see that medication safety could further be improved? And, you know, you can think as broadly as possible in terms of protocols, technology, design of medications, patient engagement, anything. So just, you know, anything that comes to your mind based on the experience.
1: Yeah, I, so I think that medic- medication safety can be improved Um with the continuum of care, so a lot of the times you have patients coming in from the community and we don't have access to their medications. So they'll come in with a pill box completely unlabeled. They don't know what they're taking the medications for or what they are. And trying to get that information from the patient sometimes is difficult when they don't have that health literacy piece. And then also in terms of the providers, because you have patients going to different providers, prescribe different things, and it's not traceable. And we saw this was a big, was, you know, it was a big thing when it came to prescribing opiates. You had patients going around to different emergency departments asking for pain medication and you were unable to track, you know, that they were just at the hospital next door and received the prescription. So having this, this, um, you know, this information to follow the patient throughout the community and into the inpatient setting, I think is, it would be a huge improvement. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity there. Also, what I like that I'm seeing is these kind of, Applications that are supporting health literacy for patients, because it's, you know, it's good for them to have advocacy and to understand what they're taking and why um, and not putting, you know, so much trust into the provider in the sense, but also taking that on their own and really understanding. So these applications providing, if not the patients, but their families, this information and easy access to understanding kind of the regime is really helpful and
0: helpful to the clinicians as well. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. Um... Do clinicians, while you know the patients are in the hospital, how much of the education of the patient does it happen there? Because I'm starting to see that uh, somehow <clears throat> when you're in stress due to a medical condition that brings you to the hospital, it's really hard to take in all the information that's coming mm. to you and also, there's this notion that when you're in the hospital, people around you know what they're doing. So oftentimes, patients might just blindly trust the clinicians because it's just the whole experience is just so overwhelming. So I'm wondering, given the importance of patient empowerment and awareness, and even things like making every patient aware to have a list of medications, the the name, the strength, everything. Mm -hmm. That's, I think, still not happening to the extent that we might want to. So are there any efforts already on the hospital level to try to make it clear to the patients what they really need to know and why they should know all these things?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, nurses are very involved in providing education for for medications for patients. So, not only in the sense of like when we go into the room, a lot of nurses are explaining what they're giving, why, and answering questions to the patient. So, right in real time, we're already providing that education. And then there's the discharge piece as well. So, when we are discharging a patient, um, you know, the physician will write the discharge note, write the medications, review the medications, and also, you know, write the order for what they're going to take home. And a lot of the times at discharge, the nurse will go in and run through that with the patient so they understand which meds they're on, what they're taking, and then provide this kind of sheet that they're able to take home with them and also to the pharmacist. And then that also continues because when the patient gets to the community pharmacist, they'll also run through that with the patient again and hopefully their, their family doctor. So The patient is getting this, this education piece throughout the process. Um, and we are seeing the hospitals providing materials through discharge and whatnot for education. Um, for some of the most vulnerable, we also see um, certain situations where we're doing follow-up phone calls. So, for example, in geriatric emergency management, when we send patients home from um, from the emergency department, we'll do the follow-up calls to see where the medication's filled, um, you know, how is the patient doing at home, and, and continuing through that. So, mm-hmm.
0: yeah. How proactive do you see that patients are in obtaining information? So when they're in the hospital, do they ask a lot of questions or do they more just follow blindly whatever's happening? I guess it also depends on the state of the patient, you know, and how uh, physically well they are, if if they're even conscious. But I'm just, you know, trying to figure out the patient um, activity or just self-interest in what's mm-hmm. going on?
1: Yeah, I think in terms of patient um, empowerment and kind of taking on, you know, their own initiatives to ask questions within, within the healthcare setting, it's, it's varied. I think in the younger generation, you definitely see patients asking more questions and kind of, you know, wanting status updates and understanding, really wanting to understand the care process, which I think is great. Um, And then when you have families with the patient advocating for them as well, that's when, you know, you see a lot of these questions, but it also depends, I mean, when you're having patients come in and there's a language barrier, it's really hard, Um, also culturally, um, if they're going to ask questions and whatnot. So it really depends, but you are seeing it more, I would say, with the younger generation, whereas the older generation, they kind of just put all the trust into the, the caregivers and, and, and let themselves get cared for. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you enjoyed the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast or go to wwwlovethepodcastcom slash Faces of Digital Health and you'll be redirected to the platform of your device. Faces of Digital Health is a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. So, if you'd like to explore healthcare more closely from other perspectives as well, go to healthpodcastnetwork.com to search through other shows as well. Stay tuned.